Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kellen, we made it. We got through the first eight episodes, which we had kind of defined as the core foundation to understanding overall what we're talking about when we talk about collapse. So just out of curiosity then, eight episodes in, how do you feel about it all? I feel like I've learned a lot and you've given me a lot to think about. And I know we've only just gone over the basics and in future podcast episodes, you're going to be teaching me a lot more about the details. But I will say that I think overall you've made a believer out of me. Wow, that was quicker than I thought. <laughs> so was it at all what you expected? Like looking back now to the first episode when we kind of just barely were introducing the whole idea and topic of it, do you feel like now eight episodes later, you kind of this is what you expected it to be or is it different? I think it's a lot different than I expected it to be. I feel like the concept of collapse before seemed very unlikely and like it was just like doomsday, end of the world, some cataclysmic event that takes place that just didn't seem very relevant to what I see going on around me. But now that I've learned more about it, it actually makes sense. The process itself and the path that we're on makes sense. That said, I do still have some doubts. And that's why I'm really excited about this podcast episode, because you're kind of just giving me the reins. You are allowing me to ask any questions, to raise any doubts. And I'm really curious to hear how you're going to respond to some of these. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode too, because I want you to be able to just basically any thoughts or questions that have come up, you know, I know you've said you've had a ton of questions. So if you've got them, our listeners probably have a lot of the same or similar questions. And so I'm excited to hear them. 
this is the first time I've heard these questions, so I haven't like prepared for this at all. So hopefully I can do them some justice. But yeah, I look forward to it. And if you've got some questions you want to ask, I'd say let's just jump in and you can fire them away. Okay, great. And I do want to say that I have listed out some questions that are sincere questions. Some of the questions are simply things that I'd like more clarity on. Some of the questions are questions that other people have raised to me when I've started bringing up collapse to them. And maybe just a little bit of it is just simply me playing devil's advocate. So anyways, I actually want to start with some critiques. And these might be things that offend people in the collapse community. But I feel like it's worth being genuine and sincere and just saying some of the things that I'm bothered by. Yeah, I think people in the collapse community are used to uh, that sort of attitude. So no worries at all. Just feel free to unleash on us. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, the first thing that I have is I feel like the definition of collapse just seems way too vague. Like I remember from episode one, when you first introduced it to me, we talked about how it's like either the population decreases significantly or we go from complex to simple. But to me, it's just a little bit frustrating because I can't check the boxes. I can't say like, has collapse happened or even know when it will happen? Or I've thought to myself, like, do I believe this is going to happen? And then I take a step back and I'm asking myself, do I believe what is going to happen? Like almost anything else you can put solid parameters on, like even things that are more vague, like has puberty happened? (laughs) 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 There's kind of a checklist, right? It's still a process, but I can still say like, yes, it has taken place. But to me, when it comes to collapse, it feels like it could happen on so many degrees and so many levels, and nobody really knows whether it's actually happened or not. To some people, it has. To some people, it hasn't. It's almost like if I were to point to a mountain and say, I think that mountain is going to erode. Like, at what point has it eroded? Even if the mountain is made out of solid rock, I could argue that on a molecular level, it's continually shedding molecules. It's slowly eroding. And so I kind of wish some authority figure would just say, once the population has decreased by 70%, or once you see these very specific signs of things going from complex to simple, that's when you know collapse has happened. So that's me kind of unloading that critique. I'd like to hear your response. So while collapse itself is a really big topic, because there are so many contributors to how it could happen, I think defining it is actually pretty easy. And I even would say that there are checkboxes. When you think back to the episode that we did on Limits to Growth, the book, and we talked about the charts and the, the scenarios that they ran for this century. When you look at those charts visually, there is a pretty clear shift and a change in a definition of what's happening. You know, you mentioned as one of your examples, I wish someone would say that the population has to decrease by a certain amount, right? Well, I'm telling you if the population decreases at all, for any consistent period of time, that we're likely in collapse. You know, you talk about a mountain eroding. Well, our mountain, our societal mountain, is continually growing. So if your mountain was growing, at any moment that that reversed, it stopped growing, and it started shrinking, you would know at that point collapse was happening. We've never really seen a complete reversal of our economic growth or our population growth. Those are the big checkboxes, the big signs to say, like, we have officially collapsed. Our population is reversing. Our economy isn't just slowing down. It's actually going down. The technological conveniences that we have are no more. Our political system has crashed, right? So those are all checkboxes that I think you can mark. Now, on a more subtle level, 
when talking about catabolic collapse, which is a, a much slower process, right? John Michael Greer talks about it being over possibly centuries. I don't think it will take that long, but it is more subtle. And so for, for that, yeah, it does take a little bit more digging to see, for example, to see that the real economy is pretty stagnant over the last few decades. We're not growing at the same rate as we were before. The growth has slowed down and has even flatlined a bit. So you can't look at that and say like, we've collapsed, right? It hasn't affected our population. It hasn't affected our standard of living yet. But it is a sign to show that it's on the horizon and that there's danger looming. Yeah, and that answer is helpful. That helps me know that once we get to a point where things start to decline and, and even reverse, that collapse has begun, right? That, that the process has officially started. But I would argue that still doesn't tell me once it has completed. Like, but even as I say that, I guess I recognize that it is a process that will just continue until things start going back up again. Right, like from the time that things start to decline to the time that they actually pick up, that is all collapse. Is that correct? That's right. And because collapse is such a big process, and and probably really such a long process to hit from where we are now to like rock bottom, I don't think we'll see rock bottom in our lifetimes. It'll feel like rock bottom for us because it's so much lower than what we're used to, right? But I think society will continue on that downward spiral for a long time to come. As the population decreases and our society becomes more and more simple, that will happen over generations. That's not to say that there won't be severe and major impacts for us, but it also doesn't mean that like by the time we're 70, we're in like a complete dark age, right? So people might not ever really realize that they've hit rock bottom, and I can see how that would be frustrating. But for you and I, I think it's something that we don't have to even really worry about. There will be plenty of difficulty in the initial stages of collapse. And so where collapse is so big and there's so many different ways that it could happen and it could look like so many different things, it is hard to say because we can't predict the future, this is exactly what collapse looks like. Here's the benchmarks along the way and the boxes we can check off. Instead, we're able to, like they talk about again in Limits to Growth, see the overall trends of what's expected to happen. There's a rise, there's stagnation, and then there's a decrease. We haven't seen that big decrease yet, right? Some people think that like right now with this recession because of the coronavirus, maybe we're starting that free fall. We'll have to see. John Michael Greer says that catabolic collapse means that we'll kind of stave off the danger of falling off a cliff because we'll consume some of our existing capital in order to catch our fall, basically. And that will slow things down for us a little bit. It might appear like we come out of this, but the economy won't ever recover like it used to be, right? And then we'll fall again and we'll catch it with more of our capital. And by doing that each time, we're eroding away at the foundation of our society until that gives out completely. So I guess to finish that question, I, I get that it's frustrating to not have a really solid answer about that. If any of the listeners have a better answer than what I've given, I'd love to, to hear that. And I'll say the same thing about any of the questions, Colin, you're about to ask. Anyone listening, if, if you are educated in collapse and you have a better answer than the one that I'm giving here on the spot, please feel free to reach out and share your answer with me. And maybe in the future, we can touch back on this and give some of the answers that people have given us as well. You can shoot those answers to breakingdowncollapse at gmail.com or find me at user Corey John on Reddit. Well, that really does help. Honestly, that makes the picture of this in my mind go from something kind of blurry to something more concrete. I think perhaps it's just the word collapse itself. 
like to me, collapse implies that it's going to be so rapid. It's going to be today life is this way and tomorrow it's that way. So I guess sometimes I wish we didn't call it collapse. We called it an erosion or a decay. Decline. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, based on the time scale and depending on how it all plays out, some people do call it like the long decline or the long emergency. You know, there's books with those titles because there is every possibility that it could be long. I think in reality, when we talk about long, you talk about collapse being like today it's this way, tomorrow it's that way. But really a decade or two decades is a blip. And not just in like, you know, the perspective of like the history of the earth, but even just in modern human history, right? America has been around for 300 years. 20 years would be a pretty rapid amount of time for things to fall and to fall pretty far. So, you know, when we say we're 30 today, by the time we're 50 in in 2040, these crazy things could be happening regarding climate change. Our economy could be, you know, in the pot. Politically, we have no idea where we could be. Our standard of living could be so much lower than it is now. It could happen very quickly. When you talk about how rapidly crises can happen, supply chains can go. In coronavirus, we saw one day we had toilet paper, the next day we didn't, right? That's not that huge of a thing. But one day you have milk on the shelf in the stores and the next day you don't is. So when you consider that scale of things happening over the course of a decade or two, then we go from living as middle-class Americans, owning homes, having decent jobs right now, to being homeless on the street. Our families are starving in a couple of decades, and that's a big deal. And to take that even further, if supply chains are completely broken down and people are, as they say, killing each other for food, you know, even though we haven't hit the rock bottom of collapse, we're in the free fall of it, that's pretty drastic. Good point. That does honestly help me put the pieces of the puzzle together a little bit better. The next critique that I have is going to sound kind of rude to people in the collapse community because I'm going to make some kind of broad, sweeping, general statements about what I've seen as I've started to get into what's being posted in the collapse subreddit. So here are some of the things I'm seeing that drive me a little bit crazy. One of them is that collapse-aware people sometimes just seem so pompous like they have this attitude of like you're naive and ignorant and i'm better than you or they have kind of this complex of feeling like i'm this elite collapse aware person and i've escaped from the ignorant masses another thing i see is that people sometimes in the collapse community become so obsessed with it that everything to them is about collapse like they see that like an nfl football team is struggling financially and they're like there it is see look collapse is happening (laughs) So that kind of turns me away because it just seems so extreme. Another one is that people sometimes in the collapse community, it's almost like they're playing the martyr. Like, hey, so that everybody out there can live their ignorant, blissful life, I will carry this heavy burden. And some people, frankly, just seem very angry and jaded and like they have this complete lack of compassion. And I know that's very critical. That's not, it's not fair of me to say that like everybody in the collapse community fits into one of those categories. But I see those things enough that even though I'm buying into the idea of collapse and I'm beginning to see it as a reality, I'm kind of like, do I really want to be part of that group? Collapse is heavy, right? And when the reality of it settles on you, like everyone reacts to it differently. And just like in any community or group that you become a part of, there's a variety of people with a variety of perspectives on life and attitudes and personality types. And I think the collapse community, specifically where you're seeing them on the subreddit, is no different. I completely agree with you. I don't think everybody's pompous, right? Or that 
everybody's mean or that everyone's obsessed or playing the martyr, right? But I think you see enough of those people. Probably some are obsessed and the ones who aren't obsessed are martyrs. And, you know, you see a lot of that. And so those are the things that come to the top and it makes it look like everybody's that way. I am the exact same way in the way that I see it as you are, that it just seems like there's a lot of that going on. I see some of it in myself. For example, I don't think I'm better than anyone else, but I inwardly scoff when I see someone being so dramatic about a small life problem they're having. And I'm like, you're freaking out about the, like, you can't watch the show on Netflix anymore and it's making you so mad, right? And it ruins your night or your baseball team just lost their game, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, I got better things to worry about. You have no idea what's coming. You know, that sort of thought process I see the world from a whole different perspective, I think, because I expect such hard times in the future. And so that perspective, I think, does have, like I said, a different effect on different people. I find myself annoyed by a lot of the attitudes of a lot of people, right? I mean, I've had people comment on some of my posts or talk to me through Reddit and say things like, they're just so excited for the day they get to see parents realize their children are going to starve to death. And they're like, that's going to be the greatest moment of their lives, basically, is witnessing other people's losing hope. And I'm like, what kind of human being thinks that way, right? Anyway, long story short, you go to any religious group or fraternity or whatever it may be, you're not going to find perfect people with perfect personalities. But I guess that shouldn't dissuade you from the facts of what we're talking about. And you can know about collapse without being obsessed with it, right? You don't even have to be part of the community. As a matter of fact, I think people should take a break from thinking about it and constantly being, you know, indulged in in the community and it shouldn't run your life. But I find it to be relaxing to see that there are other people who are more obsessed than I am, other people who are more mean than I am. You know, like it almost comforts me to realize like I'm kind of moderate. <laughs> I'm not I'm not like a lot of these people. So anyway, when it comes to the subreddit, I try and just find the good information. I try to find what is important pick out the good stuff, ignore the rest. And really, I'm only going to spend time in there if it's helping me either to feel like I'm preparing myself mentally more or I'm able to speak with other like-minded people. And you can pretty quickly realize who are the people you want to be associating with and who are the ones that you stay away from. Yeah, and to be fair, here I am saying, like, these are people without compassion and I'm tearing them all apart. (laughs) And I think you're right. In any sort of community or in any subculture, there's going to be a whole spectrum of personalities Where it is a heavy topic, people have different ways of coping with it. And frankly, if you were to ask me how I want people to respond, like what would be the ideal way for them to act and behave, I wouldn't have a good answer for you. But I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that and kind of validating some of what I'm seeing. Okay, the next thing, this is kind of a question or a doubt, a concern, whatever you want to call it. I let a friend know about this podcast and said like, hey, you should learn this stuff that I'm learning about. And they brought up a really interesting idea and they sent me a very compelling article. And it has to do with the fact that at one point, I think it was when we were talking about energy, you mentioned that we've kind of picked the low hanging fruit of technological advancements and that we're at a point where it now requires a lot more resources to make the same kind of technological gains that we could make previously, which I do think there's some truth to that. This article showed that our technological advancements are exponential and made this compelling case that, you know, in 2030, the world will look as different from now to then as it does from now looking back to like the early 1800s. 
And so I do see other articles where they talk about that, like, sure, the amount of lithium that we have to create batteries is limited, but Elon Musk is saying that there's evidence that there are new ways we can create batteries that might even be more effective. And yeah, we're running out of arable land, but there's people that grow like a ton of cabbage in a shipping container. And I saw an article about some sort of a white paint that reflects like some huge percentage of the heat. It's kind of like this groundbreaking new technology in paint. And I think, what if we painted all the roads in the world with that white paint? I've even heard of these machines that can like pull the pollution, like the carbon out of the air. And yeah, they're really expensive, but the cost of technologies goes down. And so I guess it just goes back to that idea that when there's a will, there's a way. And right now there's not enough people that are willing to make a change. But if we had a global collective will to change the course that we're on, then with the rapid way that technology is advancing, we might be able to save ourselves. So a lot of people lean on the hope for a future where technology can save us, right? And when I first started learning about collapse and really catching on to all this, the question frequently came up in my mind like, but what if? What if we can come up with the technologies? What if the world is a totally different place? What if we can get rid of fossil fuel energy? What if we can replace it? And what it comes down to is the fact that we live on a finite planet with finite resources. And right now, yeah, those resources, the primary ones of concern are things like oil, natural gas, coal, lithium, all the precious metals, you know. But resources are much more than that. And no matter what technology you come up with, the nature of exponential growth means that at some point along the way, there has to be an end. If I look at it, you know, going back to the episode about exponential growth, and we talked about the baseball stadium filling up with water and how, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was at minute 52, it's 7% of the way full. And at minute 55, you're drowning, right? Well, what about minute 56 and 57 and 58? Suddenly you've got five and then 10 and then 20, 40, 80, 160 football stadiums full of water. Like at some point, no matter how fast your technology is growing, like that many humans at some point, there's just, we would all be nose to nose on the earth, right? Like at some point it has to stop. So starting from that idea that like, okay, growth is not infinitely possible. Where does that growth stop? And then you look at the challenges that we face today. You know, you say that from 2020 to 2030, the world could look as different as it did from 1800 to now. And I believe what you're getting at or what this article is getting at is that we're at this, the cusp of this exponential growth of technology but I think, you know, I think back to 10 years ago, where were we at technologically compared to now? You know, we had, I guess in 2010, iPads were just coming out. Like 10 years ago, I had the Samsung Galaxy, what would it have been, S5? And now I've got the Note 10 Plus. So, I mean, there's that. You know, I technologically, we are making advancements. But to, for me to imagine that in 10 years from now, the world's going to be as different as it was, you know, from the 1800s to now, that is like the pure definition to me of what the collapse community calls hopium. We want things to work out. And so we just dream about what technology can bring us. And I, th I think, frankly, the amount of time that we have to make that happen is just not possible. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The President of the United States withdrew us from the 2016 Paris Climate Accord. We're not moving forward. We're moving backward when it comes to things like fossil fuels. You know, you say we would have to have this worldwide coming together, essentially decision to move us forward in this way that you're talking about. And and we're moving backwards. Capitalism dictates that essentially the investments will go where the money is. And the money is not going to be in the places that it needs to be to save us until we're already drowning in it with nearly half the population denying that climate change even is real right now, it is really difficult for me to imagine the investment being where it needs to be to focus on the innovation to reverse it or to mitigate it. We're barely getting to the point where electric vehicles are becoming more prominent, right? And where solar is getting cheap enough to where it makes sense to do instead of fossil fuels. We're barely getting there. And we're still at only like 11 or 12% of all of our energy use being renewables. The rest is still in the same place that it was 100 years ago, except for we're using way more of it. So to me, it's just so hard to believe that by the time the things we're talking about happening happen, that we will have come up with some crazy technological advancements to just fix it all is ludicrous. Now, that being said, our technological advancements are growing quickly. That is true. We are coming up with new technological innovations. But I think that 100% what we talked about in the second episode, that there is a diminishing return on them is also true. Not meaning that we're slowing down coming up with the advancements, but what it costs to get them is growing exponentially. And so the amount of resources that it takes, the amount of human thinking, of financial capital, of labor capital, to research, develop, and produce on a mass scale these technologies is getting bigger and bigger. And I think to get to the point that you're talking about simply requires more resources and capital than we have available. Maybe as a quick example, you mentioned carbon capture. That's those machines that will suck the carbon out of the air. They talk about that being able to kind of reverse the damage that we're doing with carbon dioxide. And I recently read something in a, in a book that I quoted last week called The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells. And it basically said that we would need to install one new carbon capture plant every day for the next 70 years in order to get to the point where we would need to be to mitigate our greenhouse gas emissions. Right now, there's a total of 18 that exist. So, I mean, you look at the last decade, you look at this decade, what are we doing to get there? What are we doing to meet our climate accord agreements? And it's just, it's not even close. Yeah, you make some really good points. I do see some of the emerging technologies like quantum computing that just totally blows my mind, the developments in artificial intelligence. And I think even if there's not something there that can save us, 
there are some things there that can slow the process or that can soften the fall. So you did cast some doubts on just how quickly our technology is advancing. And I agree that we haven't seen some like huge leap in the last 10 years. But if we've got AI that is solving problems on its own and helping us compound the rate of technological advancement, it makes me think maybe we truly are on an exponential technological increase curve. So yeah, when it comes to AI, I'll admit I'm not an expert. So I don't know all the capabilities and things that people are looking into using it for, right? I do know that many notable scientists are actually pretty terrified of it and believe that AI is dangerous in its own ways. But more important to me is the fact that these solutions that we're coming up with, well, the solutions often tend to be problems in and of themselves, right? We're building a more and more complicated structure to fix the things we've already screwed up. We're making things more complicated. You, know, you think about the internet, for example, right now, and the insane infrastructure that it requires to keep it going, right? And the numberless miles of cables under the ocean floor and the rooms filled with servers and, you know, all these things required to keep it going. And our solution to that is to make it more intricate and more fragile and more complex. I don't want society to be propped up by AI, right? And maybe that's the only solution and maybe we get to that point where it is. But my point is, the more complex we make it, the bigger we fall. And again, it all goes back to what we talked about before. Capitalism, human nature is all about growth. And our exponential growth simply has to stop at some point, unless we're going to start colonizing other planets. And frankly, we can barely sustain our own lives here on Earth. How are we even going to consider living on Mars, you know? What can Earth handle? Technology is not going to bring the extinct animals back. Technology is not going to recreate the ecosystems that we're destroying, that we've already destroyed. And it's certainly, in my opinion, not going to do it in the timescale necessary to avert the disaster that we've already set into motion. And that is currently increasing, not decreasing. You know, I think the fact that you keep coming back to growth and the idea that there are limits to growth is a fantastic answer because it's true. We can't just grow forever. So I think you've addressed that question really well, but it actually leads me to the next question I have, which is essentially just, could it be that collapse and the way we talk about it is quite extreme? Yeah, we can't grow forever, but could we just kind of plateau and maybe our population slowly declines slightly? Our standard of living is less than it is now, but nothing terrible. I, I think if you were to ask anybody, is the future going to be difficult? Are hard times ahead of us? Are things going to get worse? Pretty much anybody would say yes. At least most of the people I talk to seem to have this sense that we've got some big challenges ahead of us. But is it really clear that we will have major disruptions? Like, could it be that, yeah, our diet has to change and maybe people in a developed nation like this one have to start living with multiple generations in the same home? You know, people have less kids things just kind of slowly get back to a state of equilibrium. Maybe there are some significant disruptions. Like maybe people are forced to learn to garden in their yards and they have to tear up all their grass. Maybe we don't have flights and not as many people have cars. Maybe the dollar loses its value and there's a big disruption in currency. And I don't know, maybe everyone moves to cryptocurrency and we have to kind of start over our economic system. Anyways, I guess I'm just wondering, is it possible that there's just a much softer version of collapse than what it seems like everyone in the collapse community is talking about and what we've talked about on this podcast? 
Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, you just described collapse. All those things you just talked about, a lot of that is the collapse that I expect to see in my lifetime. Collapse doesn't have to mean that we go back to having zero technological advancement, right? Kind of what we talked about before. What are the what are the checkboxes? Is our society going from this complex state into a more simple state? Are we growing our food locally because we can't get it from far away because there aren't flights anymore, right? And because transportation has decreased severely, trade and the dollar and all these things have largely disappeared. To me, that is collapse. Now, in the long run, and it could be a very long run, what you've just described is a rung down the ladder to collapse. And maybe we find stabilization that way. And maybe we're stable that way for a long time. But because collapse is cyclical, and because we have done the damage that we've done already to not just the environment, but to just the amount of existing resources that we have, catabolic collapse dictates that that structure would continue to erode. And there would just be sort of those different levels of compl- of collapse along the way. And as mentioned, that could take centuries. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, you, what you're describing would be no small disruption, right? Think about coronavirus and how big of a disruption that's been in people's lives, right? And really, what's changed? Like, wear a mask, you know, that's the, the main thing. Maybe stay home a little more often than, you, than you're used to be more conscious about spreading germs. Really not that much has changed, and yet everyone's losing their minds. The change that you're talking about is just so huge. It would involve a collapse of the dollar, right? It would involve a collapse of capitalism, a collapse of trade, and all these things that, anyway, I, I would say that definitely is collapse, and I wouldn't even necessarily call that a soft collapse. That's just collapse to me. Yeah, and that's a good call out because I'm still trying to formulate in my mind what I think collapse will look like, but I have to have a more open mind that whatever picture I come up with in my mind for the future, there are an infinite number of possible variations while keeping in mind that the one thing they all have in common is that we can't continue to grow like this forever, that it's not sustainable. So that's actually a very helpful answer. That that helps me a lot. Okay, the next thing is is a question that was brought up to me by somebody that I kind of tried to start introducing this to. And their approach was to say, okay, what evidence is there that this is actually going to happen? And I started spouting off some of the things that we've talked about. And in a nutshell, their response was, how do you know that's credible information? Like for every person that's saying that, there's somebody else saying this. How do you know what to trust? And although I think a lot of the information that we've discussed is fact, I do feel some of that skepticism in myself. Like, what if this fact that we talked about at this point that we've based some of our assumptions on is wrong? And what if even the group or the scientists at MIT that came up with the computer models that talked about the inevitable outcome of the path that we're on were using data that had a lot of assumptions built into it? Like every single scientific fact that we've brought up, I don't know all the research methods that were used. I haven't fact-checked everything for its reliability. I guess what I'm saying is that there are a lot of voices out there. So why should I put my trust in what's being said in this realm and not trust what people are touting as fact that is contrary to all of this? So there's science, and then there's pseudoscience, and then there's just flat-out wrong science. And we have to be the judges from our own research to decide who to trust. We are not scientists. You know, I'm not an expert on the climate I will never be able to learn so much about climatology, for example, to just be able to come to those conclusions on my very own. But I can do basic research 
and look at everything out there and come to my own conclusions about what I think is true and what isn't. And I should do that, and you should do that, and anyone listening to this podcast should do that, not just with climate, but with everything that we've talked about. Don't listen to me and just take what I'm saying as truth. I said at the very beginning in episode one, I am not an expert. There are experts out there, and you should go and listen to the experts. And there's nothing wrong with hearing everybody out. Hear, listen to the people who say, you know, that climate change isn't real. And learn it all and come to your own conclusions about what is truth and what isn't. I have come to this truth through hundreds of hours of reading and studying and looking it all up, right? And not everyone has time to do that or not everyone has the motivation to do that. And so that's why I'm doing this podcast to say this is the information that I have gathered and that I agree with that I find to be true based on other people's research that they, you know, that they did, that they found to be true. And to me now looking at it, this is truth. Based on your personality type, based on how much time you have, you should be going out and verifying these facts for yourself. So again, I know this is kind of a broken record, but to me, it comes down to what is the most solid truth about this whole thing that I know that to me is indisputable. We cannot grow infinitely on a finite planet. I already know that. So for me, it's just taking that truth and then breaking it down into all the little truths about where are we at with our growth currently, what's sustainable and what isn't sustainable. And that's pretty much what these first eight episodes have been. Here's where our growth is at right now. Here's the point at which it becomes unsustainable. How close are we to that point? And there's lots of little points of evidence in between, millions of points of evidence in between to discover, to either back that up or refute it. For example, you know, Limits to Growth, the book through MIT and the study they did that you brought up. Yeah, I'm sure there were some really simple assumptions that they made. And there's a possibility that it's not accurate, right? Okay, well, at least I can rely on the other 10,000 points of evidence that I've done my research on and discovered to, to back it up that all seem to agree with each other and back each other up. And so it becomes this kind of solid foundation of what my belief is. You just have to build that for yourself. Well, I appreciate you answering that. And like I said, that was less of a concern for me personally, but it was difficult in that moment for me to say, yeah, the things that I'm telling you are fact, are valid, and what you hear from somebody else is not. One of the things that I have really appreciated about these conversations is that you have done so much research, and even though you might not be the world's leading expert on collapse, or even close, <laughs> just just a dude. <laughs> Yeah, but you are much more informed than somebody like me. So I do have a lot to learn. And that also helps answer one of the questions that I had written down, which is basically just wondering how many people that consider themselves collapse aware aren't really that well informed. They're just using the umbrella of collapse as like a coping mechanism. And what I mean by that is that, you know, my dad has a football team that he is just so loyal to. It's a college football team. He watches all the games. If he can't get the games on TV, he goes and listens to them in his car. But before every single game, he always says, oh man, they're going to lose. And it's almost as though he says that just so that he can set the bar low and be pleasantly surprised when they do win. And if they do lose, he can just say, oh, I knew it all along. Maybe to alleviate or mitigate some of the pain he would feel. I know that's a silly example, but I hear people all over the place that watch the news and say, oh, everything's going to pop. And I think a lot of people sincerely feel that way. But in those cases, it's not really a well-informed prediction. It's more of just like an offhand comment. So in your opinion, when you look at the group that you would consider the collapse community, how many of those people 
can really back up what they're feeling with facts? Good question. I think there's a pretty steep learning curve to all this. And 2020 and all these recent events have have got a lot of people feeling that way where it's like they just have this sort of realization that things aren't right, that they're gaining a different perspective on the world and maybe society's vulnerability, this idea that things aren't always good and they might not always be good. And I think when you talk about like the subreddit, our collapse, I think a lot of people join that subreddit with just that mentality. They know nothing more than that. But I think they do a good job specifically on the subreddit, the moderators of trying to keep it to not all the weird little things, you know, that we see every day that might be collapsed, but the overarching principles of what collapse actually is, and then trying to teach and and make sure that people understand we're not here just talking about one-off things that could cause, you know, the destruction of society. We're talking about an inevitable collapse. And here's all those reasons why we're going to collapse. And so anyway, as far as like a number of people, I really don't know. If I had to take like a wild guess on the subreddit itself, there's like 250,000 people subscribed. I would guess some, I don't know, man, 10% of those actually get it to the point that we do. And then after that, it's going to be a varying degree of people kind of getting it down to, you know, they click subscribe once because they saw a post on there that they liked and that's the end of it. You have seen over the last eight weeks what it takes to learn this, the type of doubts and stuff that come up, the way that our brains work against it because we want to believe that we have a way out of this, that sort of thing. So it is steep. And I will admit, though, that I think that the number of people who who get this is going to be increasing as more and more people start to come to the conclusion that things aren't right and want to learn more about why. And that's part of the reason, again, for this podcast is to try and break people into this whole world of of a way of thinking. Well, I hope to become one of those people that is informed enough that I can feel confident that I have an accurate picture of what's going on in the present and what to expect in the future. And I'll just say those were all the questions that I had. Honestly, before beginning this episode, I was already convinced of inevitability of collapse. But some of the things that I take away from this are that there are a lot of different ways we could see collapse play out. And that once we see our complex society having to simplify and once we see our growth not only stagnate but even reverse we know collapse is taking place also just the emphasis that there are limits to our growth we can't grow forever you know i mentioned that i see within the collapse community a lot of different responses and behaviors but it was a good reminder that we're going to see that in any sort of community you know we talked about the fact that technology might be able to slightly delay the inevitable but there's still that underlying principle that we cannot continue to grow forever. Collapse has to happen at some point. And even just aside from the questions that I've asked today, if I take a step back just to make sure, based on everything that we've talked about up to this point and all these podcast episodes, that I really understand what we're talking about. I feel like I understand now that we are fragile, or I guess vulnerable, because we're so complex as a society. And that that's something that's pretty new to human civilization. We become so complex and we've grown so much because we found all these sources of energy but we're running out of resources and we're running out of those sources of energy i feel like i also understand that there's a limit to our capacity and like we've talked about we cannot grow forever and as we have reached and even overshot that limit and we're trying to hold up this complex society and keep all these plates spinning we'll run out of capital or resources 
in one area and we have to pull from another area and it causes this whole concept of catabolic collapse. Our financial system is part of that. You know, we've got this ever-increasing debt that requires us to continue growing just to keep up with it. And that's not sustainable. We've got this political system that in many ways rewards corruption and causes the wealth disparity to increase, which causes people to become more desperate. And that's not sustainable. And probably the thing in all of this that's most compelling to me is that even if all of those things I just mentioned weren't true, we've done some serious damage to the planet and it's going to have some real consequences. Climate change alone is sooner or later going to cause some major disruptions that we would categorize as collapse. So that's me just trying to kind of off the top of my head summarize everything that I feel like we've gone over and that I've learned. Am I ready for what we're about to talk about in the next episodes or is there anything else that I'm missing? That was really well said. In the first episode, you had asked if there was like an elevator pitch for describing collapse to someone. And I think what you just did is about as close to an elevator pitch as you can get. And you can see why you can't really just go to someone with that because there's so much information in there that when you say it, you understand in your mind everything that we've talked about and it all makes sense. But to someone that you're saying it to, they're, they're like, their eyes are rolling in the back of their head like, what are you talking about? But the answer to your question is yes. I think at this point, we've got a good enough foundation of collapse that now we can start to dive in much deeper in each episode and break this down to much smaller pieces and get more detailed. You know, earlier you asked the question, how do I know who to trust and what information to trust? Well, the idea is now through the next several dozen, several hundred episodes to give those evidences. We'll go over articles, we'll go over different books, we'll quote the experts and take that foundation that we've learned and really solidify it. And we'll probably also talk about, you know, current events, what we're seeing, how we're seeing collapse sort of play out right now and and tying each thing that's happening in our current timeline to everything that we've talked about. Well, I am genuinely excited about it because now I feel like I am totally bought in to collapse and what it is and I have a basic understanding of it. And the idea of going from just like conceptual, like, hey, here's the theory or the the main principles or ideas and actually looking at the details and the evidences like you talked about and the things that we're seeing, all of that honestly makes me really excited. Yeah, I've really enjoyed doing this up till now, and I think moving forward, this is going to be an adventure. So I also am really excited. I hope you guys, the listeners, are excited as well. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, if you felt that you've been able to take some value from this, I hope you'll continue listening. And if you really appreciate the podcast and are able, we have created a Patreon account. It's in the episode description, so feel free to check that out. Obviously, Kellen and I appreciate any support you're able to offer. We don't do this for money. But there is cost and a lot of time that goes into the podcast, so any help is obviously very much appreciated. Again, thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and we'll talk again next week.